This sermon was recorded online during our season of Shelter in Place in Mountain View, California. Four years ago, a movie came out called Risen. It's the story of a Roman military officer who was garrisoned in Jerusalem around the time of Christ. And in the early scenes, he's shown leading a morning attack on a sort of ragtag group of zealots who have the high ground and they're raining down rocks and spears and things on this Roman phalanx. And this Roman officer who's called Clavius is charged with taking that hill and putting an end to the rebellion. And he does so with good Roman efficiency. But he loses some men along the way, including a really good longtime comrade. And after that morning battle, though victorious, he heads back to Jerusalem with a heavy heart. Uh, But he no sooner gets there in the early afternoon than Pilate sends him on yet another mission. And the mission is to go take charge of a crucifixion that has political overtones. It's on the outside of the city, and they just really want to hasten the demise of those who are crucified in order to allow the Jewish leaders to be satisfied and get on with the celebration of the holy days. And so off he goes, and he discharges his duty well. In the movie, he is the one who gives the command, of course, for Jesus, who is the center of those who are crucified, for Jesus to have his side opened up with a lance and the two thieves, one on either side to have their legs broken. And so after this day of of fighting zealots and then dealing with his crucifixion and all the drama and trauma that goes with that, he comes back to the palace where Pilate is. And Pilate is, you know, the end of his day. And so he's in the Roman pool and he has wine being served to him and he invites Clavius in and, and he wants to commend him And he starts talking to him about, what's your ambition? You're obviously a capable officer. What do you want to do? Clavius says, oh, I want to go to Rome. And Pilate answers into this dialogue. Well, why? What's there? And finally, at the end of this back and forth, essentially, Pilate is asking, what do you want? And Clavius's response is, I want a day without death. And I think that's a good frame for how we might understand just some of the issues and challenges that lie before us right now in this time, but also what the context is of, of particularly the First Corinthians reading that Ryan read in this Christ the King Sunday. Because we'll see that in a moment when it talks about Christ the King, it is talking about how he is dealing with the whole subject of death. But this is, a, this is very much on our minds, is it not? I mean, not only do we have people in our own community right now that are grieving because of the loss of loved ones or are anticipating the imminent loss of somebody they care for dearly, even a community our size, it's not uncommon, of course, to have that, such as the course of human experience. Uh, Others we know, or you may have somebody who's going through a really hard medical condition and and the outcome is uncertain. So there is a sense of both either having to deal with death or having its precursors such as corruption and disease and decay being more on the fore. But it's something that's in our lives. And if that isn't enough, something that's far more in all of our lives collectively is the whole experience of this pandemic, what that means, how people respond to it. At a minimum, it brings the prospect, the possibility 
of our own mortality more closely into focus than perhaps we'd ever thought prior to February of this past year. And now as the days grow shorter and colder and darker, and the surge seems to be going up, and particularly in, in great outbursts in other parts of the country, but as well as our own locale, it, it just kind of magnifies what we're experiencing. There's a variety of conversations I'm sure many of us are having with our friends and relations about what do the holidays mean? Am I going to fly to you? Are you flying to me? Maybe nobody's flying anywhere. Maybe that's the wise thing to do. So this whole aspect of our mortality of death, just being part of our existence, is just brought more into focus through currently what, what we're all collectively going through. And the reason it's such I think of focus for the Lord is because when God created us, death wasn't part of why he created us. Adam and Eve are not there to perish in the Garden of Eden. They're meant to enjoy the Lord forever. Only, only if they disobeyed would, would they taste death. And of course they did. And now we all do that. So we're tasting that. But death, because we're made in God's image, has never lost that sense of foreignness. We, we don't lose our sense of revolt against it. We might resign ourselves in some ways. We believe me as a, as a society and as a culture for as long as humankind has been in existence, we've thought of various ways to kind of deal with it because it is inevitable. But uh, it's, it's just something that in a core of our being, we don't think we were meant to experience at some level. So Isaiah puts it poetically this way when it just talks about where we are in, in the course of our, our human life. It's in the, in the subject of death. In Isaiah 25, he writes, He, meaning God, will destroy on his mountain the shroud that is cast over all peoples, the sheet that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. So death is common to this world, this existence that we have, and yet it is not and was never God's original intention. And God has a plan to restore and to bring us back into that time where we were to be with him for all eternity. And that is where our, our New Testament reading particularly brings us. When we talk about Christ the King, think of the context. I'll, I'll reread a portion just so we can bear that in mind. It says, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Jesus, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits. Then when he comes, those who belong to him, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom of God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for he has put everything under his feet. And here Jesus is presented, yes, as the Messiah, and, and he is presented as a king. He listened to the regal language. He talks about his reign and talks about the kingdom of God, and he will hand that over to his heavenly father once he has completed his task as king of putting all his enemies under his feet. Death is the last enemy, according to this passage. Death is at its heart, therefore, the absence of connection with God, the absence of his presence, 
thus a person physically alive today, but who is apart from God in any real way, can be spoken of as being spiritually dead. And conversely, someone who's died in Christ, spiritually alive in him years ago, is, though physically dead, they are spiritually alive. In fact, our text tells us that they, are, they have fallen asleep. So death is something that is a shorthand description of what it means to be apart from Christ. And so the King of Kings who comes has come to restore life to us, conquering death in order to do so. Uh, this passage talks about enemies. How is, how is Jesus doing this? Well, he's putting to death the, the forces of, you know, the Satan who came as the serpent, who decide, you know, who said that, who beguiled Eve and Adam into disobeying God and creating that separation. And so these are the forces unleashing the forces of dominion and authority and, and power. And this is what Jesus, Jesus the King, has come to do. He's coming to retake ground, if you will, that was ceded to the enemy. He's coming to reclaim people for himself. That should be, uh, at one hand, exciting. On the other hand, uh, kind of awe-inspiring and almost fear-producing. Like, what's, what's our role in this time? What, is, what should I be doing in that? And I think in one sense, we, because we're in this, this in-between time, the king has come, he's, he's advancing, but he's, as we come to him, he's enabling us to be his vessels of life. We can be agents of life in so many ways where we take and are pointing people to he who is truly the source of life, he who is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. We do this in small ways. We do this, Matthew 25 gives us a variety of ways. And Cindy was reading about the text where it talks about if somebody is thirsty and you give them a drink, you've done and you've, you've honored Christ. You've done that for him. If somebody is hungry and you feed them, you've done it for Jesus. If somebody is in prison and you visit them, you are essentially saying to them, the dignity that God gave you that is yours by the fact that you were created in his image is so far transcendent over whatever you did to get you there that I, as a person who's visiting you, want to remind you of that, want to be an agent of life, want to show you that there is a, a life beyond where you are, that there's life in Christ, if you will. Your circumstance may not change for a while or perhaps ever, but you are a changed person. You can be and experience the life that is truly life. So that when we, each of us dies, you know, assuming Christ does not come in, in the meantime, we will have life in him. We will have life that's life indeed. So there are countless ways that we can do that, to be agents of life. And we don't know, um, we don't have to fear death if we know Christ because we're alive. In fact, we can be emboldened for that mission. And I don't know, therefore, kind of how that would apply to each of the situations that are on your hearts and minds right now. You know, I, again, I think there's some encouragements and some conversations, perhaps some emboldening. If you, it's not uncommon to run into people that are asking questions about what life has in store for them or are concerned about their own mortality. The hope that each of us has by virtue of our being in Christ isn't that something that we can share with them? Isn't that something that can be an, of encouragement to them? I, I think it can. 
It's not just people in our extended family. It could be colleagues, could be neighbors. But I pray that out of this sense of Christ the King, that we would march with our King, in a sense, we would go forward with Him, and we would allow Him to lead us into any of those situations that are currently experiencing some aspect of death, whether that's the decay or the corruption or the disruption that, that comes from sin, that comes from the that working of the enemy. That where, wherever we can be that presence, Lord, show me where that can be. Show me how I can do that for your name's sake. Towards the end of the movie of called Risen, Clavius uh, has actually had his mission changed. You know, after he came and had his talk with Pilate, then three days later he was sent to find out where the body went when the tomb was reported empty. And so he starts out with great gusto trying to find that, chasing down the, the disciples and to find out what they did with the body. But in the course of pursuing them, he goes from a hunter to one who is actually drawn in to the life that he sees in them, to the point where he wants to know more about this risen Jesus. As he hangs out with them, and in the plot line, they're going on the way to Galilee, you know, where Jesus will, in that region, ascend to heaven. And so he goes and he, he connects with them. And from time to time, as he does so, the appearances of Jesus that are recorded in Acts are something that he gets to witness. Not everyone, but enough so that he now knows that his whole world uh, is subject to change, that the death that he was so much a part of that he dished out and that he was constantly living in fear of for his own life and at times, that there was an alternative. Towards the end of the movie, he's, the disciples are asleep. He's su- supposed to be asleep, but he wakes up and he sees just on an outcrop, he sees Jesus has appeared. And so he goes and he, first he confesses what he has done. He says, I was there at the crucifixion. Jesus says, I know. And he said, I, you know, I, I didn't know what I was doing. I still have doubts. Jesus says, speak from your heart. And then Clavius really didn't know what to say. And, and Jesus says, um, what is it that you see, Clavius? Clavius is still dumbstruck. And Jesus says, do you seek peace? Do you seek a day without death? And at that moment, Clavius knows that Jesus has known about him his whole life, that Jesus has known what he wants, and that only in Jesus can what he wants, that day without death, that day that we were actually made for, to be restored by, by Christ the King, the very King himself, that is what he begins to understand in this movie. And I pray that in this time, wherever this finds you, whatever kind of connections you're having to deal with, that that have that tinge of, of... Um, mortality about them, that have that concern, that those don't swamp any of us here, that they instead draw us to the King of Kings, whose, whose victory is already assured. This is more than a prophetic statement. This is a certainty that Paul is describing to the Corinthians. As we do that, as we draw closer into that reality, then we can rejoice that one day, for each of us who knows Christ and for those that we're reaching out to if they respond, there too will be a day without death for us and for them. Amen. Thanks for being with us online in the Sermon Podcast. To find out more about Holy Trinity Silicon Valley, head to 
www.holytrinitysv.org.